You're listening to What the Dev, the weekly podcast of SD Times. And now, here's Christina Cardoza, news editor of SD Times. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today, we'll be taking a look at quantum computing, the promise of it, and recent advancements in the space. Joining us today, we have Mark Jackson, quantum evangelist at Cambridge Quantum Computing. Hey, uh, Mark, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Christina. Thanks for having me. Why don't we start off with a little background into how you came into the quantum computing space and what it is a quantum evangelist does for Cambridge Quantum Computing. Sure. So my my background is in physics. Uh, I actually spent 15 years working on something called superstring theory and cosmology. Uh, uh, so superstring theory combines quantum physics and gravity, the two big ideas in physics. And I loved it, but I guess... The, uh, the thing that I kind of missed was connecting it to experiments and reality uh, because there's no evidence that it's right. And then a few years ago, I started hearing about quantum computing, which wasn't really a thing when I was a student. Um, it's actually kind of an, an old idea in the sense that it was about 40 years ago that Richard Feynman first suggested this idea of using quantum physics to perform calculations. But back then, no one knew how to really do this in practice. It, it was an amazing idea, but no one knew how to actually do it. And it was sort of an academic research topic for a few decades. And the joke was that it was always 10 years away. It was, it was 10 years away for 35 years. But a few years ago, people made some breakthroughs that allowed like kind of commercial scalability of quantum computing. And then people started getting very excited and the, the private sector got into this and so I was very fortunate about three and a half years ago to be hired by Cambridge Quantum Computing. And uh, just kind of a, a quick review of our company, we're based in the UK and, uh, and we started in 2014, uh, making us one of the, the oldest quantum computing companies. And this, this is an extraordinary field because it's really the first time in human history where we're, we're changing the way that we process information. Uh, the first computer is about 200 years old, and even though it, it kind of it looks so old-fashioned, uh, it has mechanical switches and, and things like that, it's actually the same way that we process information today. We just use things called transistors, which are much faster and smaller, and, and we have many more of them. But the idea of using on or off, uh, ones and zero, that's remained consistent for 200 years. It's just the way that we do this and how user-friendly it is that's changed. And quantum computing is the first time where that way that we store and process information is different. And it's, it's kind of hard to communicate just how different and, and dramatic that will be. Um, so so I, I guess I can explain why people are so excited about this. Yeah, definitely. What has been all the hype about lately? Normally, when you, when you uh, do programs with, with classical computers you often have several choices that you need to explore. And to do that, you, you have to go through all the choices one by one, and that means you have to go through every permutation of zeros and ones individually. And that, that can take some time. Even if a computer is very fast, it still takes time to go through every single permutation of, of the choices. And so people, are, uh, people have studied how difficult some problems are, like how much time does it take? depending on the difficulty of the problem. And there's a lot of problems that normal computers would never be able to solve in any reasonable amount of time. You might be able to solve like special small examples, but the larger the problem, the more time it takes uh, and, and it scales unreasonably. 
And the great thing about quantum computing is that it doesn't deal with zeros and ones individually. It actually, um, instead of using bits, it actually uses something called a quantum bit or a qubit. And a qubit can be a zero and a one at the same time. And so that means it's, it's considering both cases simultaneously. Now, if you had two qubits, you can actually solve, you can examine these four different combinations at the same time. And with three qubits, you can consider eight possibilities and so forth. So every qubit that you add, you're doubling the number of configurations that you can see at the same time. And to, to show how dramatic that is, 30 qubits results in a billion different combinations that you can consider at the same time. And 300 qubits represents all of the information stored in the observable universe. So that means even if you built a computer out of the entire universe, that would be as powerful as only 300 qubits. So quantum computing has the potential to solve problems that we never could have hoped to have solved using classical computers. And that's why people are so excited about this. And the past two years have just been extraordinary. Um, there are literally billions of dollars being invested in this. Um, there are so many major corporations like IBM and Honeywell and Google and Microsoft all uh, hiring hundreds of people to, uh, to look into this field. Great. You know, you joked in the beginning, um, you know, that we were always 10 years away from quantum computing. It was always this thing that we were trying to reach, but we were never sort of able to grab. So what has happened in the last recent years that really is advancing this space? Yeah, so quantum computers really exist now, um, whereas before they were sort of theoretical or they exist in laboratories um, where, where only engineers could, could use one or two qubits or, or, or so forth. So there's now several cloud-accessible quantum computers which have anywhere from 50 to 100 qubits. And you right now, the listener, you can use it simply by logging in and creating an account and start creating a quantum program and you hit execute and it will actually run on a real quantum computer. And there are several examples of these. So they, they really do exist. People are writing programs to use these quantum computers. We're not quite at the point where we have what's called a quantum advantage. So it's not yet that there's a, a commercial advantage to using a quantum computer, but we're starting to bump up, bump up against that type of, of threshold. Um, there's already been this... Um, uh, sort of this, this milestone, which, which was reached by Google about a year ago, uh, called quantum supremacy, where they found one example of something that a quantum computer could do that a, a normal computer couldn't do in any reasonable amount of time. And so we're, uh, we're really starting to see an explosion in, uh, in the field. When I joined CQC about three and a half years ago, there were maybe 10, 10 credible startups um, that, that I was aware of, and there's now hundreds we, we can't even keep up with, with them. It seems like every week there is some new technological breakthrough or some new uh, investment in a startup or some new major commercial um, engagement where a company has hired a quantum startup to like, work on an application or, uh, or design something with them. And so we're, we're really seeing the field take off. You know, I'm also seeing the rise of new quantum programming languages, new tools and frameworks for developing those quantum programs. So what does this mean for the software development side of things? Right now, because each, each quantum hardware platform, it has its own language. And, uh, and this language was, was designed by those engineers 
at that location. And so this does create a bit of a problem because if you write a quantum program for one platform, it, it would be difficult to move it to another one. And that's actually why CQC has developed our own compiler, which we call Ticket, which is hardware agnostic. You write your program and you simply indicate which platform you want to use it in. And all the details of that platform are taken care of for you. You don't need to worry about it. If you want to change and you want to move to a different quantum computer, you simply change that one line. And our compiler takes care of all of that for you. Um, so it's, it's, it's very, very easy to move it from one platform to the other. So where would you say we are with, um, you know, quantum computing in far, as far as where investment or advancements really need to be made? Is it more on the hardware side today or more on the software side? It's, it's both. That, that's a good question. Both of them are in their infancy. Even if tomorrow we magically had a super powerful quantum computer, we wouldn't be able to use it. For, for about two years because it, because we're starting from scratch when it comes to the software. There's kind of this misconception I see sometimes that, that uh, you simply take a, a normal computer program and you run it on a quantum computer and it's just a million times faster. And that's not at all the case. The logic behind quantum computing is completely different and you have to start from scratch when it comes to designing algorithms and, and how things work. And so, so it really does take time if any company is interested in, in using quantum computing, I would encourage them to talk to a quantum startup right now. Even if they don't plan on using it for a few years, it will take some time to design the program and, and come up with a minimum viable product and, uh, and think about commercial scalability. Um, so that's, that's where I would, uh, I would say a lot of the focus needs to be. Uh, start investing in this right now. So where is... Um you know, Cambridge quantum computing focus on right now. How are you guys trying to be a part of the larger picture of quantum computing? The first way that we're being a part of the ecosystem is that we're upgrading our compiler to accommodate several new platforms, especially for the cloud, because we're seeing more and more platforms move on to the cloud as opposed to just private access. Um, the second way is that we're expanding the commercialization of a lot of these algorithms. We've spent several years coming up with fundamental technology and algorithms, and we're now starting to apply this to commercial situations. And we're working with several industrial partners on how this could be achieved. So, so for example, like a material science company, they have expertise in some particular aspect of something. Uh, we have the quantum expertise. So we're working together on different aspects of that. So where do you think this is all going? Do you have any predictions for quantum computing in 2021 or, you know, over the next five years? In 2021, I think we're going to see a big push towards commercialization. I think a lot more companies are going to be looking on how they can use quantum technology for their benefit. In terms of a longer roadmap, the, uh, the roadmaps suggested by, for example, Google and IBM, they believe that they can get a million qubits within 10 years. And that would really be extraordinary. That means that we could be doing things that we never could be thinking about right now. And so I'm very excited about, about this, uh, this path that we're on. Many people are familiar with Moore's Law from classical computing, where the power of, of, a, of a computer doubles every 18 months or so. We're on a much faster trajectory. It's, it's certainly doubled in power every year already. And several companies, such as Honeywell, they believe that they could increase the power of quantum computers by a factor of 10 every year. 
And so I, I think the next few years will really be amazing. Great. Now, in terms of the commercialization, you know, where do you think is going to be the most beneficial or what use case do you think is going to be picked up first? The two use cases that I think will be most important in the short term will be machine learning and chemistry. And in particular, for machine learning, I think a lot of financial firms are going to be using this, um, partly because the, the application is very obvious. If you can come up with a more accurate commodity trader algorithm, then, then it obviously would translate into uh, financial gain. And also financial firms have the, the resources to invest in this right now. And the second area I mentioned was in chemistry. And this was actually the very first application thought of for quantum computing. I think a lot of material science companies and pharmaceutical firms will start to be using quantum computing for personalized medicine. And that, that may take a little while to get to the personalized part. But I think, uh, I think in terms of drug discovery and, and material design, I think that will start to happen in the next few years. Well, thank you again, Mark, so much for uh, joining us on the podcast. That's all the time we're going to have for today. But uh, I look forward to seeing what you and Cambridge Quantum Computing do in this space. Thank you, Christina. Until next time, you guys have been listening to What the Dev. <laughs>